Amen. Wonderful worship. 68 people per minute, according to the data of research, 68 people a minute die without knowing Jesus Christ. In 17 minutes, that would consume all of us. In 17 minutes, based on that stat, we were not right with Jesus. This whole auditorium would die in 17 minutes. 68 people a minute. How does that strike your heart? How does it make you feel to know that the church, the church was established and birthed to say to that number, that shall not be the case. I'm committed in this message this morning because it's not what you might consider a Joel Osteen message. It is a message, however, that serves notice on all of us. And there's a time and a place for everything, and this message does that. Tonight, I'll be speaking, as I've committed at least once a quarter, to talk about prayer. Because our hope is found in our prayer life. What are you going to do about this or that and the other? You pray, you pray, you pray, you pray. You believe God. We know that our mission statement is what? To know Christ and make him known. Our goal is to reach one more soul for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my prayer is that, God, you will speak to all of us, that we all will assume that it's just two of us, three of us, me, you across the table, and the Holy Spirit speaking. And I ask you to say, God, what is it that you're going to say to me? I want to grasp that. I want you to know what you have to say to me. And then I, I want you to decide, all right, Based on what I've heard, what am I going to do? How am I going to manage it? Well, I'm going to be the same old, same old. Then it won't be long, and 80 people per minute will be dying, and that number will continue to grow. The reality is, if I were to say, do people care about lost souls? I think the majority of us would say, yeah, we care. Then if I followed up with a question and I say to the church and the church culture today, then what are you doing about exercising a plan that brings to what you care that reduces that number of people going to hell every minute? What do we do? How do we do it? Now, there is the congregational level. And as a church, I think we do that well. We, we have better things to do. We do it in small groups, we do it at the Dream Center. We do it at concerts like Friday night. As a congregation, we're out there in the uh, sidewalk Sunday school. We're in missions programs. We're there as a congregation. Said We're doing everything that we can and everything that we do, every ministry. I tell our staff, hey, it has to come through the prism of does it meet our standard to know Christ and make him known? If it's just saying, okay, entertainment, nah, entertainment's good, but does it bring us to the place to know Christ and make him known? Well, we know that if God said to you and, uh, and said, okay, I've got a record. Now, in my first church, I worked for Massey School of Technology, but my responsibility was to go to high schools and present that plan and to sign students up to enroll at Massey Tech out of Jacksonville. That's what I did to earn an extra income. The church didn't pay enough to give a good tip to a server if you went to Steak and Shake. But the reality was, my goal was I need to get a certain amount of those students to sign up. That was my quota. So at the end of the week, I got paid on those that I signed up. I got paid a percentage off those individuals that put a down payment down. And I kept my job by meeting my quota. My second opportunity that I, that I had was selling insurance. And I sold life insurance, hospitalization, sick and accident, all of that to supply the income until I grew the church so that it could support a full-time pastor. 
And every Friday, I would drive from Arcadia to Lakeland to the home offices of that insurance company, and they would say, how many positive sales did you make this week? Or they would ask, are you in the arrears? Did your book of business go backwards or did it go forwards? I got paid on whether or not my business went forward. In other words, every Friday, I got judged on the activity of that week. Well, then I thought, wow, what if, what if we were to say, all right, we're going to judge every member and say to every member that we have, we're going to judge you on doing evangelism and reaching lost people in a week. So tell me, what's your quota? We, I'm afraid individually that far too many of us would be embarrassed and say, no, did you actually get somebody to sign the dotted line that you prayed a sinner's prayer with them? We'd be embarrassed. As a church, we're not, because congregationally and corporatively, we win. We win a lot of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a record, just so we all know, and it's not something of a surprise, that God says, I know your works. I'm taking account of every word, every deed, Everything in your life, I'm taking account because I'm going to judge you as a follower of Christ on what you did with the blessings that I gave you. That day will come. come. That is the judgment of the works of the believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this scripture, we talk about the death and we talk about eternity and we talk about judgment. And the reason this scripture exists in this illustration, it is the rich man and Lazarus. And it's found in the Gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter. And I'm going to reiterate this Sunday school story. It is the rich man. The scripture declares that he had robes of purple, the most expensive. Said he ate the finest of foods. Said he had comfort everywhere you turn around. Said he had servants and handmaids to take care of him. There was nothing in his life that he could could not have. He enjoyed it. But he was aware of a man. His name was Lazarus out of the gate. He knew of him. He could look out the window and see Lazarus down there. And here's what it says about Lazarus. Lazarus had leprosy to the degree the dogs would come by and lick his sores. They would come by. And, and agonized him. They would come by, some people would give to him, but he was in pain all the time. All Lazarus wanted was just give me the crumbs from the king's table. Just give it to me. Oh, but it's appointed unto man once to die, and after death the judgment. Lazarus died and went to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and went to hell. God wants us to see this illustration. And once he's in hell, the Bible says that the rich man got all the good things in life and Lazarus got all the bad things. But that day of judgment came and they died. And the rich man looks up and he sees Lazarus standing there with Abraham in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man cried out, I know that man. That's the beggar that was down there that I paid no attention to, that I overlooked, that I never offered him anything. Never gave him shelter, never gave him clothing, never gave him even the crumbs as far as my permission. But please, Father Abraham, he said, send him down and let him tip his finger in water to touch my parched tongue. And Abraham said, impossible, because there is a chasm that cannot be crossed between where we are and where you are. And what that means is time ran out. Nothing else can you do. Time is up. There's no more time to do anything. Where you are spells eternity. He said, well, if he can't do that, At least send him to my brothers. Have five of them in my father's house. Tell him to go there. If he goes there, they surely will believe. And Abraham responded, he can't. Time is over. He said, if your brothers will not take the message from Moses, 
and take the message from all the prophets. They're not going to pay any attention to a dead man will come down and try to deliver the news. It is absolutely hopeless for them unless they pay attention to Moses and the prophets. And that's the story. We understand the significance of that story speaks to us today. There were three things that that rich man asked for. Number one, have pity on me. Number two, send relief to cool my tongue. And number four, send Lazarus to my father's house to warn my brothers. And Abraham responded, can't do it. Time's up. What you intended to do if it didn't get done, it is too late. If we reach lost people, now I want you to get over this, well, a judge not that you be not judged, brother. You hold to that principle. That is a good principle. But here's another scripture that should direct you. You shall know them by the fruit that they bear or the lack thereof. So I'm telling you straight up, if you see someone, my, oh, they'll give you the shirt off their back. That's not going to get you into heaven. You know how you know a person who's a committed follower of Jesus Christ? They follow the scripture. They're in love with God. They're not ashamed of God. They show up and go to church. They know how to pray. They witness. Hello. They don't do all the things that unsaved people do. You're not going to hear them spout off bad language. You're not going to see them cheat and steal. You're not going to see them do all that stuff on a consistent basis. Why? Because they're doing their best to live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can judge that person. But if that person has no significant evidence or fruit, you can know, hey, they're not bearing fruit. And if they're not bearing fruit, Jesus went along and he said, that tree is not bearing fruit. And he cut it down to the ground. So if we know that, we have to be wise as we can possibly be. So we know that from 5 to 13, get these numbers, there is a 32% probability that we can reach an individual from 5 to 13 years of age. There's a 28% probability from 20 or from 14 to 18 years of age. That's why we work hard in our young adult and in our youth ministry and our children's ministry. But 18 years and older, there's a 6% probability that you're going to win somebody to Jesus Christ. Well, if, if that means that 96%, that 93%, it's not, not going to happen. 94%, it's not going to happen. Then why even bother? Because one soul matters to Almighty God. Can you say amen? Especially if that soul is your son or your daughter. It matters. 1,100 people a day. Move to Florida. And someone said as I was doing this study, bring them on because there's a lot of room left in Florida. Not if you're on I-4. Not if you're on I-10. Not if you're on I-95. Let's bring it on home. Not if you're out here on 98. Hello, somebody. Say we've got more room. Where in the world did all these people come from? You know what that means? There's plenty of fish in the pond to fish for, to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's move forward. The church at Sardis. The first question that I have as our first point is what is our, what is your, what is your reputation? In Revelation 3, 1a, one of these seven churches, he said, I know your deeds. This God, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. He said, I know what culture says. I know what the news media says about you. I know you have a reputation, Sardis, of actually being alive. He said, it's amazing. That's your reputation. 
But how many of you know that sometimes reality and reputation are dramatically different? Oh, let me talk about that. In the early days of the Salvation Army, William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, and his associates were bitterly, bitterly attacked and pressed by religious leaders, by governmental leaders alike. And one day, Barnwell, who was William Booth's uh, son, came to his dad with a major newspaper. And look at this, Dad. Look at what they're saying about us and what they're saying about the ministry we have. Look at all the attacks. And William Booth said, Son, 50 years from now, it'll matter very little what that article says. But what will matter is what we did with the call of God and the ministry that God gave us 10 years, 15 years, 50 years from now. That is what matters. How many of you know it matters if the church steps to the plate and says, we must do more? We must do more. It's unbelievable the cry of Sardis was this. It was at the junction of five major roads. It was wealthy. It was located on a steep mountain. They believed that nobody could penetrate their walls because they're so high on that mountain. And because of all of these assets and all of the comfort, here's what they did. They fell asleep. Nobody prodded them. Nobody challenged them. Nobody said, why don't you check and see if your reputation matches your reality? Why don't, why don't you take a good look and find out what the score is on what you're doing that builds the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you doing? Are you taking from? Are you soaking up? Or are you giving out that builds the church of Almighty God? They, they enjoyed that state of comfort, of ease, and convenience. They became lost in their world of security, but because of their slackness, because they weren't paying attention, nobody preached, hey, wake up, guys. On two different occasions, two different armies marched in and attacked them and conquered their city. They didn't even have guards on duty. They felt that secure in their security, and they just didn't worry about it, and they were, in fact, captured. They had a good reputation, but their reputation was not good enough. You see, let me say this, and let me share it in love. The church often slips into a mode that we're doing more to entertain the saints than we are in reaching the center. And we ought to enjoy the saints, and we ought to enjoy fellowship. Well, let me say this, and I'll go a step. Victory Church has more opportunity and offers more to its congregation than about any church you can name. And I know many. But I say as pastor, God, what do we do with that? What is our reputation? You know what the reputation of Victory Church and its reality? The community will tell you. The police department will tell you. The government organizations in this city will tell you in this county. The sheriff will tell you. Victory Church has a, a great reputation. They get into the bottom. They sow seeds, missions. They sow seeds of missions overseas and local. They feed the poor. They, they clothe them. They they mentor them. They reach out and touch lost lives. They do all types of ministry, not just ministering to the saints, but reaching out to touch the sinners. And that is our reputation. But listen carefully. As individuals, you'd have to ask yourself this question. In the last 90 days, how many people do I have that I have prayed the sinner's prayer with. You say, well, I'll leave that up to you. No, you hadn't read the Bible. It's our responsibility to be soul winners. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, then what is reality? What is reality? Revelation 3.1, he said, you have a reputation of being alive, but here's your reality. You're dead as a hammer. Whoa. 
your reputation to be a lie, but you're dead as a hammer. You're dead. C. Everett Koop, former U.S. Surgeon General, said reality is the leading cause of stress. You agree or disagree? Reality is the leading cause of stress. And then he goes on to say, among those who are in touch with reality. Oh, the, the reality of those that are in touch with the reality, it causes stress because they're in touch with reality. What's our reality? What's the average believer? What, what is the reality is? God said, you want to know what the reality is? Just ask me. What, what am I saying to you now? Because here's what we know. A day of judgment is coming. Just send somebody down here, Abraham. Nope. Time's up. Time's up. How many watch that cooking show where there are time for meals that they got to prepare? It takes, you know, put them on a timer. Anybody look at that? It's more exciting than Hallmark all day long. <laughs> okay, you got 30 minutes to use breadcrumbs and use pickled dills and you got 30 minutes to use the fat off a lamb chop. You got 30 minutes to use a touch of bacon and black pepper, and you got to make something tasty out of it. 30 minutes. And then when it comes to the end, you ever watch it? Okay, you got 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7. Moot up, hands off. You know what I always look for? Who's cheating? going to throw that last bit of salt after they've said one, zero. You know what? If they cheat, it's an immediate disqualification. Remember this. Here's reality. There is a heavenly clock ticking. A heavenly clock ticking in which God is going to say, that's it. Whatever you did, you're going to be judged. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul said that he did about his reality. You remember, he was a sinner. He, he beat up and killed Christians. But when he got right, he got right. And here's what he says. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 through 23. He said, I voluntarily, voluntarily became a slave to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. He said, whether they're religious or non-religious, meticulously moralistic, loose living, immorality, defeated, demoralized, whatever I could do, I did it, but I did not fall into their way of life. I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. He said, I led my life so that I could tell them about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to experience it on my own. And so there we are. We weighed in and sidewalked. We weighed in in Dream Center. We weighed in as missionaries. We weighed in in missions projects. We weighed in all of those areas because we don't want to just talk about it. But listen, the stat is this. The majority does not weighed in. If I could get just one person to stand and say amen, it would do my heart good. Just stand and say, at least one person say amen. Anybody? Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll take all that, a thousand from you, a thousand from you, a thousand from you. Just took up a free will offering. Are you all with me? You with me? Okay. Here's what he said, church at Stardust. Wake up, which means be watchful. Be responsible for your own spiritual discipline. And here's what an individual, James Berner, said, In time, as our comes from the benefit of our experience, he said, here's what you're going to find in time, benefiting with your experience. You're going to know that things will sometimes not turn out as well as you thought, and then things that were bad were not quite as bad as you thought. 
So your good's not going to be as good as you thought. Your bad's not going to be as bad as you thought. But let me give you two absolutes. Number one, heaven is going to be better than you thought. And number two, hell is going to be worse than you thought. So what do we do? How do we manage it? The reality is there are at least 100 million people in the United States that are considered to be unchurched. Check your neighborhood out when you go. Barna Research did what is called a state of the church address, and this is what he said. He said it discovered 42% of all born-again believers have never shared their faith with anyone. He goes on to say and says in the last 20 years, born-again Christians have become cold and indifferent in their faith. In other words, their church and their faith is not as important to them as it was 20 years ago. He said that's why that church attendance has dropped. That's why that Bible reading among born-again Christians has dropped. That's why the prayer time and family devotions have dropped. He said because we really have reached that stage that we don't care. We are covered up in the gospel news. And very few ever say, wait a minute, what's reality? How are we doing? How are you doing in reaching that coworker, in reaching that neighbor that you've actually taken to time? Over a period of building relationship, do you mind if I pray with you? May I pray with you? You say, well, that's rude. Oh, is it? Is it rude to know that if you don't reach them and no one else does, that you hear their cry from the pit of hell, that why didn't you try harder? Why didn't you press me a little bit more? Why didn't you do just a little bit more? We understand the percentages should scare us to death. And number three is what will be the results? I'm not talking about the coronavirus. There are many viruses out there. We're living by faith, and thank God, you know, we're, we're moving forward. I, I think wisdom is important. You can't just say it doesn't exist. It does exist. But let me show you something about one of the bowls in the book of Revelation. In the day of judgment, one of the bowls says, and that bowl, B-O-W-L, pours out disease. The judgment of God. I'm not saying that Corona is the judgment of God. not saying that. But the parallel that I am making is this. If God chose on purpose to pour the bowl of disease on the planet, how long do you think, if it was God's judgment pouring out, how long do you think it would reach you and your family? So what I'm suggesting that it is possible for the judgment day to come after the rapture of the church. And what we have to do is to be concerned about lost people now. For you have the rapture, the trumpet will sound, the dead will rise. You have the rapture, every Christian evidence, every person that's right with Jesus is going to be gone. The dead in Christ are going to rise. But the majority of the population of the world will still remain because they were not right with Jesus. So who preaches? Pastor's gone. Hopefully he's gone. Deacons are gone. Sunday school teacher's gone. Christian radio is gone. Christian television is gone. Those, every, all of those were ready, and there's no witness left. What happens then? And that's why it's important that before that takes place, that we have a reputation that says we're not asleep, we're alive. Father God, as an individual, I appreciate what my church is doing, but God, I need to be more available to see lost people. 
and find them ready for Christ. What's the reputation? Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. That's what we're doing now. And obey it and then do what? Repent. If you know that you're in error, repent. He said, you heard the word, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. In other words, today the harvest fields are ripe unto harvest. They're ripe. It's there. It's important. The probability is that only 6% over 18 will ever be reached with a salvation experience. So I'm asking you, do like I do often. I look at a crowd or I look at a group. And I ask myself the question, I wonder how many of these people are right with Jesus. If I study the numbers, more than two-thirds of them are not ready. They've been fooled by religion, but do not have relationship. As I look at that, what should I do, the church? I should remember what our purpose is. We should remember the Great Commission go into all the world. We should remember the, the subtle challenge of the enemy to cause us to go to sleep. Peter did. John did. Jesus was praying. How easy can it be? We remember the consequence if we fail. And we remember the cry of those who face the reality in hell. Please, I need help down here. Too late. There's a chasm that cannot be crossed. Remember that one day the end will come. And our text declares that the results of success or failure are not guaranteed. So, Lord, if you come as a thief in the night and I don't know, then I need to do what I'm supposed to do now. I believe this, that every person that God put in your path that you spend any time with at all, God will hold you responsible if you fail to at least bring the knowledge of Christ to their attention. What if I've only known them for two days? I'm supposed to go up to them and say, you know what? I know you don't go to church. You curse like a savior. You dip and chew. You run around so you're not right. Let me pray with you now. No. But here's a starter. I know you don't believe in prayer much. But is there anything that I can pray with you about? That's an icebreaker. Do you know what most of the time? Well, uh, nothing. Really. I heard your mother was sick. Can we pray for her? Oh, yeah. You see, there has to be that commitment to a strategy. He said, because I am coming. And I'm coming sooner than you think. He says, listen to the results of Sardis. He said, Revelation 3, 2, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds, I have I've not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Here's what he says. There is still time to react. I've not found your deeds complete, but I'm telling you now, it's time to react to the Spirit of God. Oscar Schindler is a Nazi who rescued 1,100 Jews from being tortured during the heyday of Hitler. He literally took his life, his wealth, and his future and placed it on the line to reach 1,100 Jews. Six million died as a result of Hitler. The reality is, until he saw it, Schindler, he woke up. To that point, he had been a fierce follower of the Nazi party. He was a womanizer. He was selfish, and he was wealthy and had need of nothing. Until he woke up one day and saw the plight 
of women and children that were innocently being gassed to death. And his heart of conviction kicked in. And as you read his story, he thought, I have to do something about it. Look what I have. Look what I get out of this life. And every second of every day, once he awakened to what was the problem, his goal was to reach one more and one more and one more until 1,100 was reached until now the outlay of that 1,100 reaches about 10,000 people that exist because the 1,100, they were reached. So just pause with me for a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak to you as we observe his final remarks in this movie that we've seen. We have written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it. I didn't. I, I, I didn't. 
It is dramatic, but the witness of what Schindler did is very, very real. There is coming a day, and I say this to you, so mark it down as a record in your cranium, that notice was served to all of us, and that the Holy Spirit can reveal to you and me maybe some areas that we say, and I'm focusing on this point, that we can be more obedient and willing to reach lost people. Now listen carefully. I spoke of someone the other day that is blind to the fact that her own daughter, their own family is not right with Jesus. So mom and dad, let me tell you, don't be blind to your own family if you don't see the fruit of the redemptive life. Do something about it. Parents, 20 years from now, you and I have no idea if the Lord tarries what our children are going to be facing in the, gov in the gutter of immorality. And unless we have devotions to teach them the Word of God so that they will be able to separate a fantasy and a lie from what the truth is, it won't be long in your children will be grown. So I'm asking you with all of my heart, would you pay attention to this message? I often think when we talk about baptism, water baptism, you see, when you understand what it means to engage in Christ, he gets everything we promote water baptism, but let me just say this to you. We shouldn't have to do that. We ought to just say water baptism is taking place on Sunday night. And if you know you're not water baptized, you ought to say, sign me up. I'm in. Because if Jesus did it and it speaks in the Gospels to be water baptized, that won't keep you from going to heaven, but it is a mark of your testimony for Christ. It ought to be something you just do by the grace of God. So today, you take the time, tomorrow to take the time and look at those that you know and love, that you don't have to go up to Walmart and stand in the door. So I wonder if they're right. They're right. Start in Jerusalem. Start in your own house. Start in your own sphere of influence and saying, I'm going to make a difference. I will make a difference. Well, Pastor, I don't know how to do it. Then let me be blunt. Find out how to do it. There's enough of us around here that's more than willing to help you. Would you stand, please? Those of you that are online, listen carefully. Maybe you're not right with Jesus. Those of you here, maybe you've erred away from the path of righteousness. Maybe you've lost your way. Maybe you've never really said, I'm going to be a follower. I'm going, to, I'm going to do it. There'll come a day when judgment day will hit us all and he'll judge us. And he's going to judge us in two ways. One, whether we even knew him. Enter in, thou good and faithful servant, you knew me. Or depart from me, you work of iniquity. You ignored me. You turned your back on me. You never acknowledged me. And the many times that I blessed you, the many times I convicted you, the many times that I gave you favor, undeserved favor, you never acknowledged my name. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. It's too late now. And then for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, 
He's going to stand before him and he's going to open the book and say, boy, your record in church attendance, you're faithful. Your record in witnesses, you were faithful. Your record in giving your talents and your stewardship and your, is all there. Your record of praise is there. You weren't afraid of my name. I see it all right here. Oh, I see the times that you prayed and you called out to me. I see that. Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Well, I see the times that you forgave. You see, that's the way it is. That's the word of God. So would you bow your heads and would you repeat this prayer after me, everyone? Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I thank you for Jesus, thank you for Jesus who, died on the cross who died on the cross for my sins. For my sins. I, freely repent I freely repent of the error of my way and I ask you to help me because today I am all in. I'm leaving nothing on the table of the desires of my life. I will be your servant and you can call on me to do your will. Take my life and use it as you choose. In your name I pray, amen. If you need prayer, you're sick in your body, this is something the Lord gave me that's new and I've been saying it. If you've got somebody that's lost, in your heart of hearts. Why don't you walk the aisle and say, one day I'm going to see them walk that aisle. So I'm going to walk in their behalf, believing that one day they're actually going to do it. If you do that, that's a gigantic step of faith that serves notice on the enemy. Soon and very soon, you're going to have to lose your grip because I have taken them in the altar in my heart. Or you need healing, you come as we sing this song that you'll know Let's sing it together, and you respond as God directs you. Here we go, everybody. We're going to wait on you. You need healing. You need forgiveness. your hands and surrender and let's sing it again can we do that together here we go everybody Some of you leaders, some of you leaders are small group leaders. We have two or three that we need help with. Could you come? Could you come? Wait just a moment. Family over here. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many are praying that God will speak to hearts and lives? Heavenly Father, I thank you because this message served notice on all of our hearts. It should create conviction in us. But may that conviction be so strong, it demands action from each of us. That, Father God, we cannot be questionable. We have to be deliberate. We have to be desperate. And we cannot wait because we do not have the promise of tomorrow.
I pray that you would help us and give us the anointing of the Holy Spirit. For when we're weak, he makes us strong. And when we're confused, he clears our mind and causes us to think clearly to be able to do your divine will. So and I pray a covering over our congregation from every harm. I pray a covering in your name over their families. I pray that you would guide us, guide us all for your honor and your glory to do the will of the Father and believe that lives will be eternally changed. And we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. I love you, everybody. God bless you as you go in the Lord.